I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I'm an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me in the studio reading a people's history of the United States, it's Andy Greenwald! I feel like people are going to get that reference and they're going to think that's just my vibe. What, did you ever read that book? Honestly? Yeah. No. Yeah, me neither. Gotta, I, be, gotta be, keep it 100 on the watch. My, my wife did. <laughs> Def have a copy of it on the bookshelf. Sure. Just in case. It might have been a dog-eared copy may have been laying around my uh, various <laughs> youthful domiciles. And, and every so often when like when, when, when meeting young women, you'd be like, you know, I think Columbus Day is, 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 is a fraud. Uh, we are referring, in case uh, you live anywhere but New York and Los Angeles, yeah. um, to the liberal elite movie of the year. No, I mean, just because it's only in New York, L.A., uh, Lady Bird, yeah. which I talked about last week a little bit. I implored our listeners to see it. Guess who listened? Andy Greenwald. Yeah. We're we- also today just going to really quickly to do the rundown. We're talking about um, the news hitting the Star Wars and Lord of the Rings universi. Mm. And uh, so we'll talk a little bit about that. We'll talk a little about Lady Bird. And we will talk about superheroes because today is mm-hmm, mm-hmm. greatest superhero movie of all time ranking day at TheRinger.com. Andrew Grodadaro oversaw a Wonderful top 50 list. Um, it's an amazing act of scholarship on his part. <laughs> uh, but the whole staff contributed. Uh, there's a standalone site that sort of looks, it looks incredible. Superheroes.theringer.com if you want to go directly to it. We ranked all 50 I, movies. There's a lot of side lists. I thought that was just Shea Serrano's blog. <laughs> so Andy and I will talk about that. And then we're, I'll be joined by Andrew Grotadaro a little later in the pod to talk about how we put the list together. I'm sorry I missed that conversation. I had a sick kid. But otherwise, I, w- I don't want people to think that there's only room for one Andrew you know on the, the show. Dude, though, dads yeah. are the real superheroes. Yes, thank you. Um, what do you want to do first, Lady Bird or Star Wars? <laughs> let's, do, let's do the big, big universe stuff first. Okay, sure. So here's two pieces of news that have broken over the last couple of days. First, last Last week, late last week, uh, Bob Iger, mm-hmm. who runs runs that that Disney show, um, he said that Ryan Johnson will oversee a new trilogy of Star Wars films. Did that he personally will, say this? He did. Will quote introduce new characters from a corner of the galaxy that Star Wars lore has never before explored. So. Um, when you're talking about something like this, and when it's yeah. somebody, whether it's Kathleen Kennedy or Robert Iger, talking. These quotes tend to be treated by the Star Wars fan community as if, like, it's Janet Yellen talking about, yeah, about the Fed. You well, know, in a it's way, like any, but the, the sort of analysis of things like new characters mm. or corner of the galaxy or mm-hmm. lore has been exhaustive. If you want to, like, go oh, read like the, the like, novels and the yeah, is, is he talking about what, like, what? What's the chronology here? What's the timeline? Who? What relationship, if any, will it right. have to the Skywalker saga, which Kathleen Kennedy had long said the Star Wars episode movies will be about the Skywalker family, mm-hmm. ultimately. Mm-hmm. And then there will be these standalone movies. The standalone movies, they've got Solo coming out. That had sort of a rocky road to the to the theaters. That's coming out in spring, I guess. As did the Josh Trank Boba Fett movie, which no longer exists. R.I.P. Yeah. Rest in power, my guy. Uh yeah, so basically what we're talking about is that Ryan Johnson obviously did such a good job on The Last Jedi, which no one has really seen yet, that they feel comfortable at least... Yeah, look, yeah, a couple couple things here. One, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try to just Bob Iger this and say, there is a movie in theaters now that explores an undiscovered corner of the Star Wars universe called Sacramento. It's called <laughs> Lady Bird. And you may not be able to see the Star Wars... Uh, threads, but they're there. Uh-huh. Like, by the way, that would be the most amazing marketing gimmick to basically say for any piece of original material. Just recut Lady Bird as a Rogue One trailer. I'm I, sure. I, I would love it. Yeah. Um, the second thing is we live in a time of um, unlimited access to insider news and trade stuff within Hollywood, yeah. right? But we, as we spoke the other, about the other week, the reason we know The Last Jedi is in good shape is because it's just gliding through. Mm-hmm. Like, no one's talking about it. Yeah. Um, in a way that that's not the case for Justice League. Exactly. Yeah. Not just that. People are not talking about Justice League because they are actively trying to make sure you don't know about it until the last possible second, right? The review embargo on the film, I believe, is ends Wednesday. So there'll be like 48 hours of critical thinking that will do sure. nothing to affect the bottom line on the opening weekend, which right. is the point. Um, here's how we know also that The Last Jedi is probably good because Bob, quote, Janet Yellen Iger <laughs> has basically given him an enormous part of their GDP. Yeah. That's the thing. I mean, we when they when they made the deal when Disney bought Lucasfilm, 
they were very clear from the from the start. It's not just to make these long promised um, decades sequels. They want, decades they, want they want content yeah. every every year. They want to keep Star Wars going. And so, how are you going to do that? And apparently, they've decided the guy to do it is Ryan Johnson, which is cool. I mean, this is a guy who seems to have sailed through this process unscathed, made a movie that you know, what rumors exist are very positive, but also has shown the ability to navigate two very important worlds. Um, uh, He's done original genre stuff um, with... uh, Looper. Looper, right. And uh, he's also come out of TV and managed, you know, stepped in and stepped off of something like Breaking Bad, where no one thinks of, when we talk about Breaking Bad being one of the greatest shows of all time... We often don't say, um, and we say it's Vince Gilligan's show, right? Or it's where we talk about Walt and Jesse. Sure. But we know the episodes Ryan Johnson directed. They, yeah. they are standout episodes, yet he never made it about him in that way that works in TV and that has become increasingly crucial to working in franchise Especially within building. Especially with yeah, these huge franchises. So, so cool. Okay. Here's, yeah, here's my big question. Let's do it. The Force Awakens, for the large part, and to a lesser extent, Rogue One, the reason why I liked those movies, if I'm being honest with myself, I really liked parts of Rogue One, and I think I liked the idea of Rogue One more than I liked the idea of any movie in like yeah. this century, but obviously had some issues when it was finally on the screen. But the reason why I liked those movies was because they largely replayed emotional emotional notes and narrative moments from my childhood. Mm-hmm. They reminded me of Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi in mm-hmm. ways that I really loved. Mm-hmm. The question is, when will the, these new Star Wars movies start to create, if possible, their own mythology, their own moments, their own sense of uh, of necessary of necessity? Mm-hmm. You know, like what? When will we know? Oh yeah, like this is a good thing to keep pursuing because in a different way, even though there's this huge canon of 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 novels and comics and video games surrounding Star Wars, it's not the same thing as the MCU where these they have hundreds and hundreds of storylines that they can use at any given point. Mm-hmm. Almost an embarrassment of riches, which is why I think that they, the X-Men series has largely been a you know, not a failure, but had a lot of trouble is because it's like, when do we do Apocalypse? When do we do Dark Phoenix? When do we do these things that the people have lines. so much, you know, investment in? So it's going to be very interesting to see how Ryan takes this freedom mm-hmm. and whether or not it's like a freedom he's actually allowed to use, whether it's something yeah, where I he agree. can go away. You know, obviously, like Star Wars is just like Western Joseph Campbell hero myth. It's not going to be that different. But are we going to have... The, is the force going to be a part of it? Is you know, and is there going to be a family at the center of it? I mean, there are certain things about Star Wars that I think people don't really think about, but they are actually very how, important. How malleable is it, and can he find a corner of the universe that is relevant to our particular universe in this moment? Or is he going to get pulled into that? Like each movie needs to set up the next movie, needs to set up the next movie, and that same thing where every one of these movies has to please the old fans while also trying to get new fans, yes. which is actually what to some degree has killed comic books. Comic books are not dead, but the essential problem that Marvel and DC have found themselves in is that their readership has just gotten older and older and older, and they want to be serviced with you know with the characters that they like. So while Marvel, for example, has I think, to its credit, introduced a lot of new ideas, new characters, a lot more diversity than it used to have. Its sales were struggling because they were alienating old fans. And I think the movies, that's playing out in the movies as well. Um, You know, when we talked about the Last Jedi trailer, um, I said, I I basically said that my main problem into this movie is I, I don't know, I don't really know or care what the story of this movie is other than it's another Star Wars movie. And I got some feedback from that um, that I took to heart. People were basically like, I think you are undervaluing uh, the importance of Rey as a character. Just look at Halloween. Like, look at what this has done to young women and girls who didn't feel they had a way into this universe, into this franchise, and she is already an iconic character, if only for that. Um, That's a great point. However, the question is, what is the door opening to? So it's a way into something older. This is a way for people to become fans of this franchise or maybe to see themselves in it, which is perfectly valid. Mm-hmm. But it's, it feels like it's a door backwards. So can he find a door going forward and where would that even lead us? Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. So speaking of doors going forwards and backwards. Way backwards. Where Ryan Johnson is you know, going into uncharted territory in a lot of ways. Let's hope. Uh, Jeff Bezos just came through with that yelling check yep. and ponied up a rumored 200 to $250 million dollars just for the rights mm-hmm. to the Lord of the Rings saga from the Tolkien estate. To make a television show. Yeah. 
That is or before multiple he has shows. hired anyone to run it, mm-hmm. anybody to produce it, mm-hmm. a single person in Australia to build a shire. New Zealand. Wherever. You know, what if good it's point. Australia's turn to be Good, shire, good point. <laughs> I apologize to my mates. <laughs> and uh, this, is, this is from Deadline. Amazon, Netflix, and HBO have been approached by the Tolkien estate, mm-hmm. who had been shopping the project. It came with an upfront rights payment said to be in the 200 to 250 million range, though some sources say the fee could be slightly below. That is just for the rights before development talent and production. <laughs> in proposition whose finances many industry observers called, quote, Insane. Let me just take a moment before you even get into the merits or the content of this. Let me. Which which is my camera? This one here. <laughs> which is my mic? I just like to make a personal plea to someone who I imagine is named Jaden Tolkien, the heir to the Tolkien billions at this <laughs> Jorah, point. Yeah. Um, would you like to get into podcasting? <laughs> because I just feel like with all of the millions and billions of dollars that your grandfather, great grandfather, has earned for you. How can we pay this forward? Because look at Megan Ellison, right? You want to redevelop the Shire? All I'm saying is, no, I'm just saying this is just a lot of money that yeah. is just pouring into this family. Sure. So it's interesting. Uh, the preponderance of like Getty biopics is proving that um, we're always interested in the heirs of millionaires and billionaires. Sure. Um, Megan Ellison, the daughter of the billionaire Larry Ellison, has taken some of the fortune that she inherited and started Annapurna Pictures, uh-huh. right? And is basically funding Paul Thomas Anderson's career, She's making these other art houses. She's also getting the James Bond business now. Well, so my question is, what is, what is do you think it's Ryder Tolkien? Like, what's a, what, what, <laughs> what, what do you think this Whoever name is? Whoever he is, yeah. he's got good accountants. Because apparently, like, one of the things that, they had, like, this lawsuit, I, I believe, with Warner. I think it was with Warner a couple of years ago. New Line. New Line. And one of the things that they were mad about was that, like, New Line had, you know, a, a figured out a way to kind of monetize Lord mm-hmm. of the Rings in ways that the Tolkien estate maybe felt like they should be getting a piece of the pie. Like, mm-hmm. And they were talking about like slot machines yeah. and video games and, you know, RPGs and all these things. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it does. So this is all, you know, we had talked before about how Amazon had been looking for their own Game of Thrones. They yes. apparently just said... Screw, we're not screwing yeah. around with any obscure this, sci-fi text. We're just going to go for it. This makes sense yeah. for Amazon yeah. because, as I as I talked about on the pod before, you know, I had a meeting there, and it was the same thing was said. They are they, Jeff Bezos was basically like, "Why aren't we in the Game of Thrones business? He we're one of the biggest you. companies in the world." I called him Jeff, but yeah, yeah. no, they, that was the top-down mandate. Marvelous sold you fifty boxes of dry Swiffers. They have marvelous Mrs. Maisel coming in two weeks. I love this show, but it is the the, the niche of a niche. Like it is, it's not. Mm-hmm. Amazon is a bigger company than that, and they want to be acting like it. This also makes sense um, because, you know, for whatever else it is, in terms of its Swiffer business, it is was a book website first. They like the idea of there's a business word that vertical I don't know integration. vertical integration. Exactly, they can push the books yeah. while they push the TV show. That makes sense for them. The other thing is the the price tag, irrelevant. Everything that Amazon does, basically, and Netflix too, is funny money. I hope these are more like NFL contracts, where it's just like you're paying this guy sixty three million dollars. It's not guaranteed, but it's like it's like, but not if he's Kirk Cousins in real life. So they're going to wave Samwise Gamgee midway through the deal. I just, I I mean, like, there the amount of shows that are like being announced at these astronomical figures, two season guarantee, blah blah blah, and then it's just like, oh yeah, just never never came out. This one, this is they're paying them. I guess I mean, obviously they're not paying, they're not cutting the check for a quarter of a billion dollars just in one go, but it is to develop it the properties, yeah, sure. which means they're going to develop it. The other thing to take away here is we live in the franchise era. And to survive, these companies all think they need to get much bigger, first of all. But they also think they need to have these dependable worlds that they can count on for their and shareholders talked, in, in, the in terms of bringing them back to it. Initial reports about this, they've talked about the multitude of spinoffs that could come from this. Yeah, you it, know. this is a, you know, HBO has the Game of Thrones world. They're developing five spinoffs right. from it. Disney is at the forefront of all of this because they have the Marvel Universe and they have um, uh, they have Star Wars. Star Wars. Um, Netflix bought Mark Millar, the comic book writer's company, Millar World, expressly in hopes that he will come up with something like this that they can continue to invest in and, and bring people into. People, remember a couple of years ago, there were all those massive multi online multiplayer sure. video games? Yeah, World of like, Warcraft and stuff. I don't understand any of that, except this is... That that this points. The, that's the future. Warcraftification of TV. This is what people want. They want to know that you can go to their portal, whether it's on your phone or your TV or whatever it may be in the future, and you you can have access to this world. Mm-hmm. All of that said, 
I don't care about Did hobbits, Pete Jackson man. leave a lot of meat on the bone? Yeah, right. I don't care about hobbits. Like, I, I don't care about this world yeah. enough. It is, you know, it, it is beloved to many people, but to the previous point we were making, it's kind of backwards looking. You know, this is deeply beloved to people to whom it has been deeply beloved since they were adolescents. Yeah, and the, when Game of Thrones first came on, and it, up through Red Wedding, I would say, maybe a couple, maybe there were some events after Red Wedding, there was that sort of uh, brotherhood and sisterhood of secrecy that was going on among book readers who were yeah. actually just like, yeah, you know, something's, something's coming. Yeah. And then, since then, obviously, things have changed and the, the show has eclipsed, uh, gone past where George Martin stopped, has not yet written. Yeah. But the idea that we're just going to go back and do Lord of the Rings and even if you want to get into the nooks and crannies of these books... Like, decades and decades of people have read these books, so well, what are we going to do? Like, is it really of interest to people to revisit these things ten, my guess ten years after? is that they are not going to do the Fellowship of the Ring storyline. The initial, it's the preceding years, so we're talking about oh, lots of some elves getting, getting God out there. It's exhausting. Yeah, I mean, man. look, you can put on your most optimistic uh, glasses that I'm sure they sell on Amazon, and you could say that, well, this will give people an opportunity to tell all sorts of stories about um, class and race and gender in a fictional universe or whatever, Jesus. you know, like Trojan horse, whatever storyline yeah. you want to, and just, you know, put funny ears and take the shoes off and yeah. call it a call it a, um, a show. But are they really going to do that? I, don't I, know. I mean, this week, is, is Punisher premiering this week? Punisher's on Friday. Um, this is, uh, the reason I'm transitioning to that, not because I've seen any of it, I haven't, I have no interest in in seeing any of it, but we are seeing the limits of some of this stuff. And the Marvel is divided between its movie business and its TV business. And we give a lot of credit to the movie business on this podcast, or at least I did last week because mm-hmm. I love Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, the TV end of the company is not doing as well, frankly, and they seem to be in the business of making things because they have these things to make. Now, Runaways is coming up on Hulu. That comes from Marvel TV. Um, I think it's really good. I've seen the first few episodes. We're going to do a podcast with the people behind it at some point um, soon. But these Netflix shows, which started with such great promise, so think about what you can do with these gritty heroes yeah. and interlocking stories. But they greenlit them at 13 episodes each, and we don't need these episodes. Yeah. We don't need these things, you know? And, and The Punisher is a character that has been popular because he murders people. There's really not that much else there. And they made a show about him because... They had the rights to him. Yeah. This, also, the Punisher has been a character that was immensely popular at certain points of yeah. time, and they have tried over and over again to make this pop off. And I think that it's there's just a huge difference when you take something out of a comic book, which is two-dimensional, and you actually have somebody doing the things that Punisher does on screen, and then you're like, but you like this guy, right? And it's like, well, no. Nobody should like Frank Castle. You know what I mean? Like, this yeah. guy's an animal. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, it looks like, from what I've seen of the show, that Bernthal and the, the showrunners, are like, in, they investigate that. They investigate the torture that must be going on with this guy. Yeah. But... That being said, <laughs> yeah. That being said, we still have to watch it. We're still the people who have to watch it. No, I don't. Well, yeah, I'm out. I but, so. I, but I mean, but 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 this thing, this this inertia that can set in, where, well, uh, uh, you could say it two ways. There's an inertia where th- that sets in where we're making things because we have to make them, so let's make the best of it. And mm-hmm. you can feel that strain. You can feel the strain. Like at the end of the day, um, the Punisher is a show about a guy with unlimited arsenal who just murders people who he thinks are criminals or who are criminals or whatever the case may be yeah. with, yeah. with machine guns. Right. Cause they this doesn't yeah. feel like the moment for that show. That doesn't seem that interesting to me now. No. So once again, I mean, there's no time where this happens more often than in talking about franchises, but the business conversation is very different than the creative conversation. And this is, this is a fine deal for Amazon to make. This makes sense for them, for their goals, for their vertical integration, for where the industry is going to make the big splash for their resources. But creatively, it, it's 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 sucking air. It leaves a lot to be desired. Um, but this is kind of where we're at. So let's let's get out of this crap then for a second. Let's go to Sacramento so for a minute. Before we start talking about superheroes again, let's talk a little bit about Lady Bird. Let's say, first of all, we've gotten into trouble with this before. We're not going to spoil this movie in any way right. because we understand that it is not in wide release yet. So you don't want to talk about how Lady Bird opens up the Sacramento expanded universe and all- what it says about... All I'll say is stick around after the credits. Oh, my God, yeah. The tag, (laughs) where Vladi Divac shows up, (laughs) chain-smoking, and is like, you ever want to run a basketball team? Did not expect Mike Bibby to pop up. No. Yeah. Doug Christie looks good, though. 
Um, this movie, Chris said it last week, just just all we're saying to America that doesn't have access to this movie yet is just just lock and load, man. I'll put in Punisher terms. This, no, edit that. <laughs> all I'm saying... All I'm saying is to the part of America that does not have access to this film yet is just get ready yeah. because it yeah. is a total and complete joy. It is a complete success from start to finish in every performance, in conception, in execution. This is a movie, I mean, people should know a little bit about it. It's, a, it's, a, it, it's Greta Gerwig, the writer and director and, and actress, quasi-autobiographical mm-hmm. movie about uh, one young woman's senior year of school in Sacramento yeah, in 2002, 2002 to 2003. 2003. And the performances, um, Saoirse Ronan and Laurie Metcalf and um, the two the two It Boys of Hollywood. Big Tim. Um, Timothy, it's Timmy time. Timothy Chalamet and... Um, uh, what's Chalamet, it? actually. Chalamet? Guy. Yeah. Guess what? I got, a, I got a Timothy Chalamet story for you. Do you really? I met that kid. How is he? I met that kid five years ago H- Homeland on the style? set of Homeland. Yes! I in, was wondering when we were going to get back to Homeland. I did in uh, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. People don't remember this, that this kid who is... Very the, divisive character on Homeland. Yeah, this kid is the the darling of Hollywood right now. Yeah. He's got Call Me By Your Name coming out. He's in Lady Bird. He's getting all the parts. But he brought on Dark Dana. He people do people remember this that he played the son of the Secretary of State or whatever it was yeah like an ambassador or the, the v, or the State. VP yeah the v, VP the VP's son. son the VP son yeah. who uh, corrupted our beautiful angel <laughs> Dana Brody yeah they got in a car accident do you yeah. remember that and I met I was on set and I met this kid and he was so young his mom was on set with him because he she had to be there. And it just goes to show you never really know for young actors because he's really good. It's not that he was bad on Homeland. This kid will never make it in this town. I wrote him off immediately. It is just, it's just a wonder. It is a wonder. Here's a question I had for you about this. The building's Roman, the coming of age story works really well in movies. Yes. It is just one of those, we don't talk about that enough, I think, when we talk about the type of movies we like, you know, like heist movies or rom-coms. The coming of age story, particularly sure. in a compact amount of time, the Days to Confuse, yeah, Days the, the, the Linklater movies, yeah. um, Rushmore, Diner, American Graffiti, yeah. yeah. This is maybe we don't talk about it enough because it's so hard to get right. But when you get it right, it's very special. And when you not only get it right, but give it a, a spin that we've never seen before, this is such a deeply um, female film in the sense of the main character played by Saoirse Ronan, the role of the guys in it the primacy of the mom in her life. And just, I would say too, in the generosity that it extends to literally every character with these grace notes and details that tell us everything we need to know about them and leaves us wanting more. I I thought also it was an incredibly, it was such an invigorating advertisement for writing. Um, Hmm. I think sometimes I feel like good writing gets a little degraded in this age of we're going to figure it out on set. Good screenwriting. Whether it's because yeah, I agree. everything is improv and we're just throwing out ad libs and we'll get 90 mm-hmm. takes and throw the best ones in a movie. Or um, there's so much oversight over how we have to build out the narrative fabric of a film to make it a quilt that will cover 10, 12 years of movies. Mm-hmm. And every line of Lady Bird actually is building towards something. Yeah. And even the lines in the beginning when you're watching it and you think it's like, oh, this is just a bit or it's a joke mm-hmm. or it's like a funny observation they wanted to throw in there actually serves building blocks to create something massive. And I don't, I think that that might be something I wanted to kind of say this last week and I still want to wait for people to see it. So I don't want to go too deep into the plot. Although I do highly recommend people check out uh, Sean Fantasy's interview with Greta on yeah. the big picture, which is so, great. And they get into the details of the film a little bit more than I think we will. Usually, every, every day I'm jealous of Sean for his crisp chinos. <laughs> Today, I'm extremely jealous yeah. of Sean for this interview. But the way that they build towards something, I think that you can see this, and you're just like, oh, what a nice little movie. It's like, it's not a little movie. It's a, great point. It's a huge movie, actually. It's about very, very big things. It's not uh, an aw shucks indie. It is not a, a like shuffling down the block, just trying mm-hmm. to make its own thing. It's like it's about really, really, really important stuff that affects lots and lots of lots of people across the board, not just from Sacramento, not just from 2002. And it's it's a it's that's one thing that resonated, especially towards the end, which gets very, mm-hmm. very emotional. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can just feel that 
every little line, every little moment in that movie is building towards what it does at the end. And that is the sign of a great writer. I, I also think it's worth noticing when you watch this movie, and I think there's a lesson here for all writers, and particularly for writers of television who are working and people who are aspiring, or for movies, of course, as well. If you think about this movie when you see it, there is not a, there's not a single character in the film who has bad intentions. Everyone is just trying, man. Everyone's doing their best and making do with what they have. No one is perfect, but no one has bad intentions. And that you can look at that as an obstacle to your script or to your project, um, because who's going to move the plot? Who's going to, you know, in a very like Robert McKee screenwriting sense, yeah. like what's the antagonist of the yeah. scene? What's the obstacle? Take Throw that all away for a while and see what it would be like if people had wants and desires, but they weren't. And, and then build and then build more organically up from that. You yeah, know, it, I think it, that it, it was inspiring to see that play out so beautifully in a movie. It, and it has a certain um, symmetry and a real like three act structure that makes sense. But you know, it, it tells its story in a way that isn't like it's darkest before the dawn, which is like yeah. these kind of these story beats. That I think we've become so accustomed to in eighty percent of our movie going experiences, mm-hmm. and this is just felt different and it felt really refreshing. Uh, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors and then Andy will be back with me to talk a little bit about our superhero list and then I'll be joined by Andrew Gretadaro to kind of go through the rankings. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by the big homies at Sonos. I was just listening to my Sonos the other day. I was listening to Hot Snakes. Are you familiar with their work? I am. Because I was I went to go see them oh, yeah, recently. You, you went to a rock show. And the crystal clear pulse pounding sound of Hot Snakes was just floating through my apartment. I was like, damn, you know what I'd love to be able to do? Control this music with my voice. Wow. And then I realized I could because the Sonos One blends great sound with Amazon Alexa, the easy-to-use voice service for hands-free control of your music and more. Use your voice to play songs while you cook. Tell Alexa to turn up the volume while you're in the shower. You can even request a lullaby out loud when you are tucking in the kids. I would not recommend Hot Snakes when that's happening. Play songs, turn on the lights, adjust the temperature, check news and traffic, manage smart devices, and more with the helpful Amazon Alexa, all using a single Sonos speaker. Sonos One is backed by a pair of Class D amplifiers and custom-built drivers so that the sound is face-melting and pure. And since Sonos is continually updating with new features, services, and skills, your music and voice options will be getting better and better over the time. And now Sonos is offering listeners of the watch 10% off one order of $2,500 or less for any product at Sonos.com. It is the holiday season of fish. You know what I mean? So why don't you dig deep, buy a loved one, something from Sonos. The offer is available for a limited time only and cannot be combined with other discounts or promotions. Use promo code WATCH10. That's capital W-A-T-C-H-1-0 at Sonos.com to receive this offer. Today's episode of The Watch is also brought to you by First Leaf, Angular, Cassis, mm-hmm. Opulent. Mm-hmm. If you aren't familiar with those wine terms, congratulations, you're just like me. Oh, congratulations. We're not on speaking terms. <laughs> I don't care if wine clubs and critics babble on about herbaceousness. Mm-hmm. I just want to know, does it taste good? Luckily, I found First Leaf, the only wine club that's based on your tastes. I just received my First Leaf order, and these are some damn good wines. Here's wow. how it works. Customize your First Leaf order by selecting color, wine regions, and frequency of your wine shipments. Then create an introductory three-pack of wine to get you started. Uh, I just, you know, it's it's getting a little chilly mm. out in Los Angeles. I mean, so I'm I'm moving to reds. You know, we did that last night too. Did you really? Yeah, yeah, like a Pinot. Yeah, I opened a, a sort of a, a racy, bright Pinot last night. <laughs> With First Leaf's introductory pack, you'll get three for just five bucks each. Normally, these bottles of wine go for twenty dollars each, if not more. When your bottles arrive, you rate the wine to get personalized selections based on your taste. So it's a journey. You know what I'm saying? The more you rate, the better your recommendations will be. First Leaf eliminates the middleman and works directly with the world's foremost wineries in France, Italy, and Napa Valley. First Leaf is my new favorite way to rate and buy quality wine. Think, think the homies at First Leaf would let me curate a playlist for them? A, a wine playlist? Yeah, not music. Like, could I make a shipment for our listeners? Just dial them up, man. To order your three-pack of introductory wine for $15, go to tryfirstleaf.com watch. That's three bottles for 15 bucks at tryfirstleaf.com. 
tryfirstleaf.com slash watch. Experience First Leaf today at tryfirstleaf.com slash watch. Okay, we back. Uh, Andy, we're talking superhero rankings. Today, The Ringer, it's Monday, we put up our ranking of all time superhero movies. Mm-hmm. So the top 50 of uh, superhero movies of all time. We also have a bunch of other superhero content, uh, audio and visual, coming this week. Mm-hmm. So you can check out Thursday. We're doing the rewatchables on Dark Knight. I did that with Sean and Jason. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sean's also got a big picture pod going this week with Shoemaker and Jason Concepcion about the future of, of superhero movies, about comic book movies, uh, and tons of other stuff. So let me just ask you, you were not part of the voting block? No. Uh, so as an, as an outside observer... What did you think of the the way the ranking sorted itself out? Just want to be clear on one thing, because Thor Ragnarok, very recent film, made the list. Yes, number nine. Um, deserving of its very high stature, eh. I think. But the much more expansive reboot of Birdman as Lady Bird did not. It <laughs> did not. Did not make it. <laughs> I just wanted to be clear. Yeah. That's too bad. Yeah. Um, I thought this list is fascinating because, first of all, it's just there are so many of them, you know? There are so many of them, and this ha- happened relatively... It feels like it happened relatively quickly. It's, it's like a, a lot of them within the last 10 years. Because let me tell you, I, this is probably the least popular part of this podcast when we do Remember Whens, but like I, I remember when the X-Men movie... I hope not. ...happened. <laughs> yeah, me and too. I can't, and remember thinking, I can't believe they made this. Yeah. And there's no way it's going to be popular like there was it was so ingrained in the culture not just in hollywood because i had nothing to do with hollywood at the time but in like comic book fans and fans like of that movies. nerd culture thing of like i can't believe they gave us a movie but because the, the, they never will uh-huh. like there was just a deep understanding that this cannot happen this will not succeed and then it's taken over the world um one of the things that i thought was most interesting about this list and maybe this speaks to how there is much more quantity than quality mm-hmm. is it the transition from more or less garbage to oh that's pretty good happens really suddenly and subtly in this list. Yeah. You know, it, it is not scaled up. Right. I, I don't know if like 26, I, I'm just calling numbers out, I don't have the list in no, front I, of me. No, I've got it right here. And you, 26 would be Doctor Strange. Twenty Doctor Strange is the perfect 26 because yes. Doctor Strange, whatever, sure. Right. Doctor Strange was a big sure. And then to get to the movies that we think of as, you know, actually quite good. Sure. I will say that looking through this list, there are very, very few movies on this list that I would say deserve to be on a list of greatest movies if you take away the adjective superhero. Super, sure. Um, Which ones would you put in there if you had to choose? Superman. Okay. Superman, that's it? <laughs> I, think, I think that's kind of it. Do you not like Dark Knight? Um, I think Dark Knight is wildly overrated. Really? I do. Really? I think it's crazy overrated. I think that it is... As a superhero movie or as a movie? As a movie. Do you? What do you think of it as being the number one superhero movie of all time? I strongly disagree. Okay, so what would you put instead? Uh, first of all, you told me that a movie like The Incredibles was not... Uh, eligible. We don't acknowledge cartoons. Um, yet you have Guardians of the Galaxy 2 on the list. <laughs> so, okay. Um, here, here, are, here, are, here are some of my more positive comments about, about rank, before I get like super nitpicky about it. Iron Man 3, correctly rated. Shout to the Shane Blackhive. I have, a, I have moles inside the office. <laughs> Iron Man yeah, 3. Yeah, you're looking at him. What do you think? I good, give that thing like a nine. That's good, why it's up there. Good work. Yes. I, I don't know. I mean, the... Great the, Amanda Dobbins blurb, too. It's the one where all the Iron Mans fight. She got it. Yeah. But it's also the movie that has the long... Detective story set in rural Tennessee. With a yeah. little kid. Yeah. And also the Ben Kingsley thing. Yes. If I, we won't talk about it, but it's just... That that is, brings me yeah, great joy. Spoil Iron Man 3 for all those heads Who knows? I'm, we're saying it's good. Maybe there are people some, who gave it a some miss. Some dude is like... You know, I have, I still have Iron Man 3 in my red envelope Netflix yeah. DVD, and I, I haven't returned it in six years. It's possible. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, the, you also, as part of the expanded content of this list, you have a villain list, mm-hmm. uh, which is e- cr- completely correct. And that list, it's the ranking of villains in superhero films. Uh-huh. And um, number one is Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight. Correct. Two through 275 is everyone else. Everyone else. Yeah. Correct. Yes. No, no love for Lee Pace's. Judge Bluehead in Guardians of the Galaxy One or whatever, like it yeah. is, it is, it is totally thankless job, and I'm I was glad that's say, Don't you feel like we've been living with Thanos for a really long time? <laughs> yeah, we. And Hasn't yet, Thanos been getting teased for like eight years, or is it my imagination? No, that's correct. Well, no, since it's like four years, since Avengers, probably. so yeah. five years, yeah. and it'll be six years before he even shows what up. You, speaking of which, what do you think of Avengers at two? That's what I was. My next point, guys, Avengers isn't really good. Like that's my take. Yeah. Everyone has come around to agree that Age of Ultron is not 
good. Yes. I would say both of those films, but even Avengers, which, you know, obviously ushered in this idea of put all these people together, you can make a billion dollars, yada, yada. Uh, Yo, this movie is not rewatchable, my man. Avengers is good, in in severe quotes, in the way that The Force Awakens is great. And what I mean is, it proved something thought impossible was in fact possible and didn't offend a majority of people. It pleased enough people just enough. Now, I don't mean to conflate them because I think Force Awakens is probably better and there, you can make a legitimate argument for really good things in that movie. But really, the success, I think, of Force Awakens is just like expectation management and brand building mm-hmm. for the future. And that's what Avengers did. I mean, Joss Whedon did something truly remarkable but making a really good movie was not one of those things. Sure. I don't think you can make a good Avengers movie. One of the points that we didn't make in talking about Thor Ragnarok was... I like. I love how you say Thor Ragnarok. Well, because people, the, the dark world heads who Isn't love Thor, colon, heartbeat, Ragnarok. I don't have time to pause. <laughs> this is a long podcast. The thing we didn't talk about when we talked about Thor, pause, pause, Ragnarok mm-hmm. was that it was correctly scaled. So it was fun. Because the main character is a god. Yeah, you should definitely just keep saying I when you say that, though. I did not like that movie. I know you didn't like it. (laughs) But the problem of an Avengers movie or writing an Avengers comic book is that the person, the villain that Black Widow can disarm or disable is not the same that Thor can because Thor is a god and Black Widow is a cool spy. Yes. So them fighting is not going to really work out well. You know what I mean? Or it's going to be a different level of villain. So... So at least, so these side movies make more sense. So Avengers, no. Avengers, not good. Okay, that's one. Dark Knight, insanely overrated. Great villain performance. I know you ride for Eckhart. Uh, but do you remember, isn't, that's the movie where the the crescendo is the spying technology that Morgan Freeman has invented, and then there are two boats? That's how the movie ends. It's not the crescendo. The crescendo is when an 18-wheel truck literally flips up in the air over a motorcycle. That part's great. Yeah, That part is great. If you actually, watching Dark Knight again, when you, you, you're like, oh, and we, like, and now there's this scene that I remember, like, lighting my face on fire, no no Harvey Dent. You know, like, it's, it has all the tools, except for an ending. Here's my hottest take. Batman Begins is the best of those movies. By far. Interesting. And I would put that in the top 10. That's one of my favorite superhero movies, hands Batman down. Begins. Yeah. Make the case. It's, it's a more interesting part of it. It's the creation of this guy. It, it actually functions as a world-building film. I love Christian Bale's performance in it. I love the Liam Neeson. You know what you love? The Liam Neeson a of it all. training sequence on a frozen lake. I love a training sequence. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> can we all agree? I don't think we can, going by this list. Dark Knight Rises... Like, extremely Bane voice might be bad? Dark Knight Rises, you really have to get around, like, the fact that Heinz Ward escapes the entire (laughs) destruction of a football field. Yeah. As a, like, a little, like, soprano boy sings, like, the national anthem. That's because Heinz Ward was brought up on Last Boy Scout. He knows you keep running. If that had been, like, Devin Hester, I would have been, like, sure. (laughs) A guy who has more experience, like, maybe even... Peak Brian Westbrook. There is a Christopher Nolan moment in Christopher Nolan films where you're like, you feel you're moving, you're riding along yeah. with the movie, and then you're like, oh no, there's another 90 minutes. It's like you does better redeem buckle himself up. in Dunkirk, though. <laughs> he does. He's he very does a great good. Job. The part in the boat on the beach. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's like, he was like, looks like home. But, but do you remember like a Dark Knight Rises? We're like, okay, Anne Hathaway's fun. We're having yeah, a yeah. good time here. And then it's just like, wait a second. We're just going to have a siege on the city for like 90 minutes. This is just, well, he's has a broken yes. back. Dark, Dark Knight Rises has some issues. These movies are too... You also, you too, cannot have Batman talk like that and Bane talk like that. No, it's just too serious, yeah. man. It's too, it's too much. Any give other me, final notes? Give me Batman Returns over, over those. Give me, give me Pfeiffer. Ah, give me Pfeiffer and pass. Leather. That's, so you don't like fun parts of comic books. You like dark comic books. <laughs> You like you, that's what you believe. That's why I'm into Thor: The Dark World. That's why you're. That's because you also you love Eccleston. You Thor: love, Dark World. <laughs> say it faster. Okay, a few other takes. Um, Spider-Man Two is better than Spider-Man. Uh huh. Why do you think Spider-Man's in the top ten? Because it like it, that was kind of the one. Because it that, was like, oh, we can do this. We can do this yeah. now. Okay, so yeah. maybe for and, that and reason. And Raimi had that. Um, I think Raimi really captured uh, how to bring the the Biff Pow energy of comics mm. to film like you, his his cinematic style is already biff pow and wow. i think he really grabbed it those words are triggering for comic book fans sorry 
Um, Captain American Civil War has a cool fight scene with Spider-Man in it. But let's relax. Yeah. I mean, I've always, I've been, oh, well, Civil War, I actually enjoyed watching. Me too. Uh, Winter Soldier is the one where I'm like, this is not Three Days of the Condor. No, that, now it has, I got it really is, taken out behind the woodshed by the expectations for that movie. It is time to back, backlash that movie. Oh, so now you're you're pro Winter Soldier. I've always been. It's really good. And then let me melt your Winter Soldier yeah. with this hot take. I'm excited for this. First Avenger is better than all of them. First Avenger might be the best Marvel movie of the of the of the that the Avengers side of the family. Extremely Bucky Barnes voice. You might be right, Cap. Yes, you might be right. Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah. Stanley Tucci. Also, it's just TLJ just like talking, doing patent quotes. It's just a period piece. It's fun. It's awesome. Joe Johnson did a it's great contained. job. It's contained. It feels like an Indiana Jones movie. Yeah. Evan spends the first one third of the movie like a scrawny little nerd. Yeah, and then gets gets glowed Get, up. Gets, <laughs> he does. He gets buff. He glows up, and Haley yeah. Atwell's like, "You're big now." Go go on. <laughs> that, that's like I'm just reprising the movie. I, I here. just want to ask permission from the booth. Can the rest of the podcast just be Chris just just, just recapping my synopsis of First Avenger? The first Avenger. Yeah. Uh, Hugo Weaving is like my face off. Yeah. Like, what, yeah. what color is his face? It's red. Oh, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that one's fun. Um, and uh, I think X Men Two is a top ten superhero movie. Okay. I think X Men Two. Brian Cox performance is great. That's the one. You, you said, and, and I, we'll end on this, but like you, you, at the beginning of this podcast, you, you threw a little shade at our friends at Fox, <laughs> such good friends we have over there. At Fox Studios? Yeah. Well, you said that the X Men movies generally haven't succeeded. And I agree with you creatively and in, artistically. I should, the caveat to that is the X Men movies have not ex- succeeded because I was like you, like, I can't believe they're going to make X Men movies. Yeah. And given how many of them they've made, and how they've bungled, like, let's start over again with McAvoy and Fassbender. But wait, what if we just put all of them in the movie? But wait, let's do Apocalypse, it, but it's the worst let movie me tell of you, all time. In a weird way, the X-Men movies are the most true to the comic books. Because the comic books have the single purest and best idea, maybe, of any character outside of Spider-Man and Batman, right? That they are hated and feared. Mm-hmm. Their gifts are a curse. Bang. It, great. Great for, you can do all sorts of analogies about um, about marginalized groups. You can tell stories about people, you know, adolescence and 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 being a young person and afraid of yourself. There's so many things built into that. Yeah, what's normative behavior? That work. Um, And yet, a weird majority of the storylines are about them talking to aliens with bird feathers on their head. Like, what what does that have to do with anything that we're talking about? And that's the story of 40, 50 years of X-Men comic books with weird reboots and this person's dead but alive and we'll recast them. It's really the story of the movies, too. To that point, I think X-Men 2 got the closest to it. That's the one I think that has the, like, this where... Uh, Iceman goes home and his parents are like have you ever tried not being a mutant and it kind of plays sure. with those ideas plus it, it's just a pretty well put together movie and in retrospect the v- extremely Toronto-ness of it no shouts I mean, no disrespect <laughs> to the six the god dot, but like yeah. but th- 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 that was definitely when Fox was like we'll make another but we're not sure we're going to spend all the money on it Okay, um, makes it more charming so I so yeah but, but my bigger takeaway is boy they made a lot of these and it does seem like the ceiling at least in the current iteration of these movies, is lower than I thought when you see them all together. All right, so now we're going to bring on Andrew Godadaro to talk about the methodology we used to make this list and our observations about sort of where the superhero movie is going from here. Again, rewatchables Dark Knight later this week, big picture on superhero, the future of superhero movies later this week. Andy and I will be back Thursday with a very special episode. We're really looking forward to this. Joe Hagen, author of the new Jan Wenner biography, Sticky Fingers, will be joining us. So we're really excited for the re-up on Thursday. Thor Ragnarok. Thor Ragnarok. Okay, now I am joined by The Ringer's Andrew Godadaro. Hey! Who has been in his Batcave working on his special equipment. I don't even know. That sounds Honestly, dark. like to see light right now yeah. is, hurts a <laughs> even little bit. Even if it is synthetic. <laughs> uh, and Andrew has been working on these superhero rankings for a while. He has like an elaborate algorithm that we'll discuss in just a second. But just so that everybody knows where we're coming from here, if you haven't seen it on the site already, I'll just run through the top 10 for the superhero rankings. These are uh, based on a number of factors that Andrew will explain. But the number one, she comes no surprise, Dark Knight. Number two, is the Avengers. Mm-hmm. Number three, Spider- Superman. Number four is Spider-Man. Number five is Wonder Woman. Yep. Number six, Spider-Man 2 from 2004. Number seven, Iron Man. Number eight, Captain America Civil War. Number nine, very recent, Thor Ragnarok. The new. Only two the weeks new old. new Thor Ragnarok. 
And number 10 is Guardians of the Galaxy. Okay. Yeah. So let's talk first about methodology. Yeah. Tell me about how you went about making this ranking. So basically, we, we were trying to figure out a way, because this is obviously a conversation that has been done a lot of times. So we tried to figure out what makes a superhero movie good and successful. And the factors that we came up with were critical success, box office performance, and then two things, rewatchability, mm -hmm. as in how many times do, do you really want to rewatch this? And then something that is a little more amorphous called timelessness. Okay. Basically, we asked, you know, if this movie were to be remade, could it be improved? Sure. Like, did they, how or much they did they nail, nail it? it? Did they nail it? Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. So to do those things, we leaned on Rotten Tomatoes for the critical stuff. We, you know, leaned on the box office numbers and we kind of adjusted everything so that everything was um, parallel to these days. You know, right. like 1978 so, Superman obviously made less than Iron Man. Right. But its um, adjusted box office would have been around $500 million. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And then for the other ones, since they're more related to taste, we sent out this big survey to... A uh, bunch of the staffers at the Ringer and asked them to answer two questions. And for rewatchability, it was, you know, on a scale of one to ten, would you rewatch this? And for the timelessness one, it was, do you think this movie could be improved by a remake? Sure. And then after all those numbers were averaged, you know, we ran them through a formula, added everything up, and the movies with the highest score were our top movies. So it's interesting to see the total number. So like, for instance, Dark Knight is number one with a total of 202.00, yep. right? Yeah. And it's five points more or less clear of the Avengers. Right. But a lot of the data here, like a lot of the total numbers for the the, the movies, say like from, uh, you know, from from seven to, to nine or 10, they're really bunched together. We're talking about a series of like, Decimal it's point. super close. It's basically the difference between someone at the ringer voting a six rather than a seven yeah. about if they would rewatch it, um, which I don't know what that says about us. Yeah, you know? I mean, I think well, we do actually have a pretty diverse staff, both in terms of, of who works there, but it's also in terms of the age. And the age, I think, is going to come into play as we talk more about this, because I think that one of the things you and I have been talking about a lot recently is that when these superhero movies first became came into vogue, whether you pin that, I guess we could say, like, for the sake of argument, 08 with yeah. Dark Knight and Iron Man, right. yeah. it was kind of appealing to an older nerd generation. Definitely. And now over the years, I think obviously, especially with the Marvel stuff, it's become the lingua franca of kids. Like when you go see Thor Ragnarok, you're going to be yeah. surrounded by children who know every plot beat of like... In, of what Infinity Wars is going to be right, already. And don't necessarily care about the mythology of Thor. Or Shades of Grey yeah. in their heroes. Yeah. You know <laughs> right. what I mean? Like yeah. they're not like, oh, I really need Batman <laughs> yeah. to be conflicted. Yeah. And um, that is, uh, so that was why it was sort of interesting to me to see some of the more recent films pop in there. Because for me personally, it started to become a little bit more of a chore to get through these movies because I feel like they're being made specifically for someone whose sure. brain is not fully formed. <laughs> and I, whereas like 08, with Iron Man and Dark Knight, I was like, this is, this is a really cool way. They're, they're actual movies. Yeah. Today, it's like Thor Ragnarok is a superhero movie. Sure. And there's a difference. Yeah. So what are some of the surprises that you came across when you were tabulating all this stuff? So I think one of the biggest things is I didn't realize how much of a factor the box office success was going to play into all of this. Okay. Um, which I think if you see, say, like Civil War in, the, in our top 10. Uh-huh. I don't really think it's a top 10 superhero movie, and it didn't really score that way in, in terms of the taste. Yeah, right. yeah, but because it just made so much money, yeah. it it kind of like gets weighted in that way. Um, and then another thing was some of the movies that the staff picked out, um, Logan's rewatchability score is the same as The Dark Knight. Interesting. Which is pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, X-Men Days of Future Past, huge rewatchability score. Why? Why do you think that is? I don't know. I think that movie is appealing visually. I think it's uh, it's a good mark in the X-Men trilogy mm -hmm. or tril series. Um, Fastbender, I guess. Yeah. 
Yeah. But yeah. And that's one of the ones with with all of the both with many right. of the old and new cast, right? Yeah, yeah. And is that the one where they go to like it's like the Cuban Missile Crisis? I believe so. Right. James McAvoy. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. So those movies where they scored super high in terms of our taste, but there were some box. They didn't perform as well as the, at the box office. Mm-hmm. You know, they so they're further down on the list. I think that so the one that why I wanted to talk about a lot was Wonder Woman, and and it's, yeah, it's. It's presence at number five, which is, I mean, you could say Thor. I was actually very surprised by Thor, and I wonder if that's just recency bias. But yeah. Wonder Woman is an interesting situation where you're looking at something that was obviously a big hit, one of the biggest hits of the year. Exactly. And critically liked, but it was like, it's the highest ranking non-Batman DC, not non-Nolan DC movie, yep. I think. Did you notice anything about the way people were voting for more recent films? Like, did you think that, do you think that people were like a little like, oh, you know, like the ones that I've seen over the last couple of years have really figured out the, the, the way to do these? You know, I, th- I think they are, the, the newer movies have definitely figured out the formula and they figured out how they can be successful with their particular characters. Um I think Thor Ragnarok is a good example of this is the third movie. The other two Thors are, you know, kind of bad Mm -hmm. and they didn't they didn't score well either. Um, And then this one, it's, you know, it's crisp. It's funny. It's light. It's easy to watch. Um, A lot of people said that they would rewatch it, Mm -hmm. even though they literally just saw it two weeks ago. Yeah, right. And so I think there is a little bit of, of that. And then I think with Wonder Woman, you know, it's it's a stake in the ground where, you know, Gal Gadot's great. It's sort of a turning point for DC mm-hmm. where they're sort of adjusting their formula and they kind of actually nailed it. Um, so I think people gave it a favorable score and maybe maybe rated it against DC more than they did against superhero movies in general. Let's talk a little bit about movies that you were surprised by their placement, whether it was high or low. I will say Dark Knight Rises coming in above Batman Begins. Interesting. Is kind of a big one for now, me. Now, do you think that's recency or do you think it's like Bane memes or do you think it's, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that there are, I know people who really ride for the last act of Batman, of Dark Knight Rises, because mm-hmm. they think it's just so like gripping the, 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 him flying out over the water with the bomb and everything like that. They're really like, there's a moment where you're like, is Batman going to die? But I, what do you think was behind that? Well, you know, one thing I will say is that the th- the third movies in these trilogies usually make more money than the first ones. Mm-hmm. So that's because they can a- advertise them as like the conclusion of right. this epic. And you know, at this point everyone knows what the thing is. They've seen the first two and especially with Dark Knight Rises, it was like it's following the Dark Knight. You have to see it. Yeah. So that had a had a big factor. And maybe maybe one other thing about Dark Knight Rises is yeah, it's it's the culmination. So Yeah. You know, it, it it's gonna it's gonna come in. I was surprised. I guess I, was, I wasn't really surprised, but it's interesting to note that Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice, and Suicide Squad come in at 49th and 50th. Yeah, that's a nice little uh, bit of poetry, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> um, so not not great looks for them. One thing I did think that the list plays the, the list bears out is a preference for single hero movies. Uh, for the right. most part, I mean, obviously, Avengers at number two is a is a high rank for a team up movie. Although Avengers is honestly like the thing that all of these other team up movies are chasing is that yeah. first time. Is, that's the one where seeing it was like a revelation. Yeah, where it was like, wow, I can't believe they did this. There's so many characters, and they're you know, it's a it's a great good pace. I can movie. barely remember what happens in that movie. All I remember is the Grand Central just crumbling oh, to that's pieces. Right. I, I aliens, can never remember what Aliens Sokovia being everywhere. In, yeah, right. Sokovia is is uh is Ultron? That's Ultron. Okay. And Ultron I think is a huge step back from the first Avengers. Right. And it was also it sounded like a much more trying production and you and know And definitely I think a reaction to the people who were like you guys are destroying real cities and mm-hmm. there are some actual implications to that. Sure. So then they went to this fake city and you know 
while I respect the fact that they were listening to the criticism, it, sure. it doesn't have the same urgency. Yeah, and I think that that was also, the, I, with a lot of these movies, what happens is um, they try to just keep adding on, and Ultron yeah. suffered probably from the additions of like Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. Exactly. And like, let's give Hawkeye a scene. Vision and, is in yeah, there. Yeah, it's just like a lot to handle. Like, and I, that, that People are excited for Infinity War, but if they're really like tripling the amount of people who are in this movie... I'm worried about it. Yeah, it's either going to be five hours long or it's going to make no sense whatsoever. Yeah, I think the better situation right now is Thor Ragnarok, where you yeah. can you can make almost a hundred minutes of a movie based on one guy. Yeah, and, and then and the ones like and Logan and right. Iron Man one, these movies that are actually like pretty like focused on like well, there's one guy and he's going to be in every scene. Yeah, they don't have to lift as much um, branching out and crossover. Absolutely. Um, a couple of other movies that I thought were either too high or too low or was interesting to me. I hit me. Think I'm probably like I'm probably a little in the bag for Logan, but yeah. one that uh, one that was really surprising for me, and I'm trying to find it here. Oh, it's on 30, it's 31. Is Captain America: First Avenger, which is a movie we usually don't talk about. It doesn't really come up when it's like oh, best Marvel movies. It's sort of a forgotten mm-hmm. uh, not an experiment, but it was like it looks different than a lot of the Marvel movies. It's obviously set during the 1940s. Yeah. It's got a certain wholesomeness. And Spielbergian kind of like old school wonder to it, right, whereas yeah. the whole bit since then with uh, Winter Soldier and Civil War is like, oh, I'm unfrozen caveman yeah. Captain America. <laughs> yeah. Like, what are you guys doing with your cell phones? Right. And that being said, I really loved its. It felt like a comic book to me in the best sure. possible sure, way, sure, sure, and sure. I liked the fact that. The very end, they get into the, okay, this is how he's going to fall into S.H.I.E.L.D. and stuff like that. But before, it's like, yeah, Howard Stark's in it. And there's a couple of, there's, you know, like there's a couple of other like hallmarks of the Marvel Universe. But it's more or less like a really cool version of Indiana Jones with like a guy with a shield. Yeah. And the the funny, if you look at um, the critical scores Mm -hmm. for, say, Civil War, the third one, Mm -hmm. it's 10 points higher. Yeah. Which, I think is maybe, you know, maybe that's a case of critics kind of getting into the swing of superhero Or movies. coming to grips with the fact exactly. that these aren't going anywhere and my, like, right. annihilating it is not going to help. Yeah, you know? yeah. Or just, like, knowing that this is the state of movies yeah. and so that the the sort of standards have been lowered. Well, that's kind of why you did the poll in the first place, right? It's because this has just become, like, the this is, like, pop culture now. Yeah, these are movies, <laughs> and, and like I, th- I think I, I say in the intro of this piece is that you look at the top ten of this year, mm-hmm. more than half of the movies are superhero movies, and next year there's Black Panther, there's Infinity Wars, Captain Marvel, there's and then Marvel, get more there's Doctor Deadpool Strange. Two, yeah, exactly. Like, it's not gonna stop. Yeah, and the movies aren't gonna stop making money, and at least for the near future, we're gonna keep needing to go see them. Do you think that we are ever going to see any kind of, I, I mean, I, it's it, it it's easy to just say like, oh, will there be fatigue? Will there be fatigue? But right. um, do you think that maybe an Infinity War or after Infinity War, the end of the Evans, yeah, Hemsworth, well, it has Downey to end sometime, generation? Right? I mean, Downey for sure can't yeah. just keep doing this. He's right? been talking about not doing it. And for they would a good have time. to, they would probably want to set it up so that like Tom Holland and Chadwick Boseman and, uh, you know, um, Brie Larson and Benedict Cumberbatch kind of take it over. But do you make these movies without Thor and without Captain America and without Iron Man? Or That's do a great you question. Bring this is, in I've been really ones. been thinking about this a lot. Like, you can't reboot those characters. I, Juliette Lemon's a huge fan of recasting. Uh-huh. And I think you could make the argument, it's like, why not just make Miles Teller Tony Stark? Yeah. is it Would it really be that hard for them to sell that? Rather than start from the beginning, Tony Stark back from the beginning, and he gets lost in Afghanistan and right. has to build this suit I, of armor. I also wonder now that, because the MCU was sort of like a, a gamut to force people to buy into 10 movies mm-hmm. when they bought into one. So now that it's that's already happened, everyone's everyone's going to see these movies and, you know, superhero movies have taken over the box office. Maybe now DC and Marvel have the freedom to just make shoot like offshoots and they don't have to tie in these huge universes. Yeah. So in a way they can say here's a Tony Stark at at 26 and Miles Teller could play that. Yeah. 
which I honestly would might be a better better situation. Well, that's what's going to be fascinating next year, not only with Black Panther, but with the future DC movies, is that I think that MCU had a certain tonal uniformity right. to it up to this point and dc has had these like stops and starts of you know we're gonna do like Zack snyder <laughs> yeah. like total like and then they'll be like oh wait actually like it'll be like oceans 11 and everything will be banter with justice league yeah but are they gonna do it where they stop you know it, can, can you have like two or three batmans going at once do you know what I mean? Like, can they right. have standalone Batman with Affleck, the Batman that's going to be in the Flash movie, the mm. Batman that's on television? And at what point will people, like, be a little too confused? Because it's, it is it is actually a miracle that the Marvel thing worked out, that all yeah. three of those guys wound up being like, we're famous and we're going to keep being in these movies. It, it, I almost think of it as, like, uh, The Walking Dead, yeah. where, yeah. you know, it's like this thing that no one really says I love it or <laughs> but it a million people watch it. Yeah. And there's no end in sight. So it's mostly just saying like maybe someday people will stop caring about it. Yeah. But I mean I said but I said that during Ant-Man. I was like right. nobody's going to go see exactly. Ant-Man, dog. Like come on. Nobody's yeah. going to see Doctor Strange. Yeah. And, and they keep doing continue it. Continue to go. And I think that th- there's a certain way there there's a real expert expertise in marketing because each one of these movies I'm like ooh is this gonna be like a 70s thriller right. and it's just no it's just like a Marvel movie <laughs> it's man. a Marvel movie yeah or is like is is Doctor Strange gonna be a psychedelic you know like Jodorowsky yeah. movie and it's like no it's just like it's a Marvel movie yeah man. not really with like one hallucination scene um, any other observations you wanted to share with people coming out of this um, you know I think that generally with the exception of Logan it's interesting to note um, the fading of the X-Men series here yeah for the most part right uh, like that seems now in retrospect maybe uh a mishandling of probably the most valuable superhero property in, in a lot of ways yeah i mean there's so many characters to draw from in that series but um they seem to have kind of used it all yeah. up and they're making the dark phoenix saga again with sophie turner from game of thrones yeah and i mean they have new mutants mm-hmm. coming next year which like it looks like a horror movie. Yes, maybe it they're will saying be. it is just a straight up horror movie right. that happens to feature the New Mutants. Right, and yeah. maybe that maybe that spurs a new a new avenue for X Men. But um, yeah, maybe that one that franchise is at the point where they can kind of do whatever they want. And, yeah, you know, Logan might be an example of that. Yeah, it's which it would, would be great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I would be the fascinating thing would be is if they ever feel like they need to take a step back, let people forget it, come back three years later. They didn't quite do that between Dark Knight Rises and um, the the new DC uh-huh. that they they popped out, and I, I don't know if that really had a. I don't know if people were like we were still so invested in Bale as Batman and the Christopher Nolan vision that it didn't work, or if those movies were just bad, which they were. I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah, um, you know, and for I feel like my generation, especially, you know, I was. I was probably 19 when those movies came out. They were the the most important thing. Yeah, the Dark Knight movies. Yeah, yeah. extremely important and like amazing spectacles that you know I, I think a lot of people had never seen. So to see a new one come out, I, it's hard to measure up. Yeah, if there's one movie on this list that you think is super underrated that people should check out, is there anyone on there that you sh- that you would recommend? Um, I would. You know, I I think. Kick-Ass at 48 Oh yeah, is kind of low. Yeah. I think that movie is extremely clever and fun. Um, and if people haven't seen it, they should see it because it's, it's, a, it's a good twist on, on the genre. I would say Hancock at 54, which is one <laughs> of the... Uh, it's really out there. It's, it's actually kind of weird that it got made. Uh, yeah. If people don't know what it is, it's a Peter Berg movie starring Will Smith, Charlize Theron, and Jason Bateman. And Will Smith plays an alcoholic superhero that is actually just like in our world. Right. And uh, it actually sets up like a whole mythology of this of this like pretty much like out of uh, out of whole cloth superhero universe that Mm -hmm. is not part of like a major comic book series. And you could tell that they had like pretty big, big plans for it if it had worked out. But the whole idea was and this was coming in. 2008 so it's right it's like the one in 08 that didn't work out it's like iron man birth mcu dark knight pretty much changed what our expectations were for these movies because it was like 
that was a movie that people were comparing to The Godfather when it came <laughs> yeah, out. Exactly. And then Hancock came out, and it's actually just a really, really weird time capsule, not only of Will Smith's stardom, Will Smith, yeah. but also like Pete Berg really shooting a shot and it not right. working out. So I, if if you're interested in a weird movie, check out Hancock. Um, also, I just really ride for Iron Man 3, and I, I, I thought I'd sh- I shot that out yeah. there. Another thing um, that I would like to point out about the Ringer staff is that all of the Blade movies were rated <laughs> extremely high. <laughs> like, what does that even people mean? People love the Blade movies. Which I is... think that's like generational <laughs> TNT watching. I think so, too. Yeah, because like I don't care about Peak Blade. Wesley. Yeah, right. All right, man. Andrew, this is amazing work. You can check out all of our rankings on TheRinger.com. We'll have plenty of other superhero-oriented audio and visual content this week. But, Andrew, thanks for joining us. Yeah, man. thanks, man. Today's episode of The Watch was brought to you by First Leaf. First Leaf is the only wine club that is based on your tastes. I just received my First Leaf order, and there are some damn good wines in there. Here is how it works. Customize your First Leaf order by selecting the color, wine regions, and frequency of your shipments. First Leaf then creates an introductory three-pack of wine to get you started. I just popped some Pinot last night with a lovely pasta dish that my wife and I made. Yeah. Uh, First Leaf is my favorite way to rate and buy a quality wine. To order your three-pack of introductory wine, $15, go to tryfirstleaf.com slash watch. That's three bottles of wine, only 15 bucks at tryfirstleaf.com slash watch. Experience First Leaf today at tryfirstleaf.com slash watch. Today's episode of The Watch was also brought to you by the homies at Sonos who have combined Amazon Alexa with the Sonos speaker system to basically create the only way I ever want to listen to music again, but now I can control it with my voice. Sonos blends great sound with Amazon Alexa, the easy-to-use voice service for hands-free control of your music and more. Use your voice to play songs while you cook or you're in the shower. You can even manage smart devices all using a single Sonos speaker. And now for a limited time, Sonos is offering listeners of the watch 10% off one order with of $2,500 or less for any product on Sonos.com. Just use promo code WATCH10. That is capital W-A-T-C-H-1-0 at Sonos.com to receive this offer. Our listeners are always cooking. (laughs) 